Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The Mwekma Ohlone were the original inhabitants of the East Bay, as recent DNA evidence confirms, but they are not a federally recognized tribe. In our first segment, we'll talk about the fight for that recognition, which now spans generations of tribal leadership. And in our second segment, we'll talk with the proprietors of the Ohlone Cafe, which will be reopening outside UC Berkeley's Anthropology Museum which has clashed with the Ohlone people over indigenous artifacts they still hold. So today, we're talking about the first peoples of the Bay, the government apparatus that's denied their existence, and the distinct ways that the Ohlone people have tried to repair the harm of the multiple colonizations they've endured. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's no secret that the United States government made terrible and capricious decisions about Native American tribes. For many years, the federal government dealt with the Muwekma Ohlone people as a sovereign entity using the name the government made up, the Verona Band of Alameda County. But in 1927, the tribe lost this federal recognition, in part due to a report from the prominent UC Berkeley anthropologist Alfred Krober that declared them, quote, culturally extinct. Over the last several decades, the tribe has tried to use a process the federal government created in the 1970s to become formally recognized again. They haven't succeeded, but they haven't given up either. And today we're going to talk about the long fight, new evidence, and what's at stake for the tribe. We're joined by Alan Leventhal, Mawekma Ohlone tribal ethno-historian. Welcome, Alan. I know Alan's there. We're also joined by Lauren Van Schilfgaard, director of the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians Tribal Legal Development Clinic at UCLA School of Law. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. We had also planned to be joined by Charlene Nijme, chairwoman of the Mawekma Alona tribe. Unfortunately, she had an emergency come up this morning. We do have a recording of her talking about the history of her tribe and the systemic injustice they endured. And we want to start there. Our people were taken by force from many of the villages in the Bay Area to the missions 
San Jose, Santa Clara, and Dolores. The Mawekma Ohlone tribe today represents 600 direct descendants from a distinct tribal band that was identified back in 1906, living on the lands owned by Phoebe Hurst. This was in the Sonol area in the East Bay around Mission San Jose. And since our people lived near the Verona Railroad Station, a federal agent labeled us the Verona Band. That name Verona really is a perfect example of how little the federal government cared about the treatment and welfare of the California Indians who, who just survived a genocide so horrific it wiped out over 97% of our population. We barely survived the destruction of our villages, the enslavement of our people, the diseases, the homelessness, the theft of our children, and the bounties on our heads. That was Charlie Nijme, chairwoman of the Muwekma Ohlone tribe, talking about what her people have been through. Alan Leventhal, you've been working with the tribe for a long time. And I wanted you to give us some background on the difference between the kind of common sense interpretation of like, well, these people have deep, uh, you know, thousands of years long roots in this place and the government process of formally recognizing a tribe. Like how are those two things really distinct? Well, first, thank you for having me on. And, um, I've been working with the Muwek Maloney tribe since 1980. So I have 40 plus years in doing intensives, co-research with them at the three Bay Area, Bay Area missions, Mission Santa Clara, San Jose, and Mission San Francisco. Uh, as the tribe and myself were working collectively, I started to get my education from the different lineages enrolled in the tribe. And the first thing they started to show me was their BIA identification. Bureau of Indian Affairs, yeah. Yes, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. But I asked them about that and they said, oh yes, um, our parents enrolled with the Bureau of Indian Affairs from 1928 to 32, again in 1948 to 57, and again in 1968 to 71. And I said, what was the enrollment about? And they said, well, we got Indian money. So I asked them about that, and um, it turned out that in the 1950s, a settlement for $150 was uh, issued to those surviving uh, elders who enrolled from 28 to 32 uh, for 8.5 million acres of land. And later on, when they enroll late again by the 1970s, they issue checks for $668 and 61 cents for 64 million, for the value of 64,425,000 acres of land. So as I, I'm also an archeologist and uh, with the tribe, we worked on sites going back 12,000 years in the Bay Area. And uh, they, they started to uh, be concerned that with unbridled development, in the an expansion, urban expansion, uh, large cemeteries were being encountered and archeologists were basically selecting their own Indian 
In some cases, the individual that they were choosing were either from the Indian center, meaning out of state Indians, or from uh, who turned out not to be Native American at all. Uh, so the tribe decided that in order to address its kind of legal standing and, and asserting itself with their ancestral heritage, in 1980s, they formally organized their tribal government based upon the 1934 Indian Reorganization Act, creating a constitution enrollment ordinance. And by 1989, they submitted a letter to the federal government uh, to petition for to regain their federal recognized status. So in, by 1996, after we submitted in hundreds of pages to the Bureau of um, Office of Federal Acknowledgement, uh, they got a formal determination uh, of previous unambiguous federal recognition that they were formally federally recognized as the Verona Band of Alameda County. And as stated by Chairwoman Nishma, that it was Senator George Hurst and Phoebe Apperson Hurst who bought one of the tribe's rancherias over called the Ali Sal Rancheria between Pleasanton and Sonol. And they built their Hacienda del Pozo de Verona after Verona, Italy, and Western Pacific Railroad built the Hearst's spur from Oakland south so her Victorian era friends could visit her. She was also the one to fund the anthropology department at Cal Berkeley in the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. And she's the one who invited Kroger down to interview the Muwekma elders for their languages. So anyway, by 1998, the tribe, you know, I was co-writing with them. We submitted around six linear feet of documentation um, for the preliminary um, uh, assessment by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And um, they said that it would take, or probably we calculated around 24 years before they can look at the tribe's documentation. And on the list of ready for active consideration, Muwekma was number 22, but was the only tribe with a formal determination of previous unambiguous federal recognition. And when we used the term terminated, the Bureau corrected us. And they said the tribe was never terminated. Only Congress has that authority to terminate a tribe's status. So they, we asked them, how do you want us to describe it? And the Bureau said, well, the Bureau decided it didn't want to deal with the tribe anymore. And we asked, how is that a legal process? So a 24-year wait was considered too long for the tribe, so they sued in federal court. In and now, where does that yeah, where does that leave us now? Like we as we've as we've come up with this history, I mean, there obviously have been a lot of different maneuvers through time and legal proceedings, and yet nothing seems to have actually changed the the recognition status of the tribe. Why is that? Well. Let me, let me just finish my thought on this. When they sued in 1999 under the Administrative Procedures Act, the federal judge in DC, uh, Justice Urbina, slammed Interior for being disingenuous. And he demanded that they get an ex expedited review. Well, this is the first time a tribe successfully challenged, or actually one of the few times, um, the Bureau's calendar or schedule 
So when they tried, when they were forced to review the tribe's documentation, rather than treating the tribe in an objective way, weighing the evidence, they decided to almost criminally prosecute the tribe. So they would say things like, well, you can't use your BIA documentation as evidence for the three BIA enrollment periods. You can't use as evidence that your children went to Indian boarding schools in the 30s and 40s as evidence. Uh, and other documentation they rejected as well, including Kroger's determination in the 50s during the claims hearing, where he used Mission San Jose as the population as survivability till 1955. So they said the tribe didn't exist from 1927 to 1962, when the tribe was involved in saving the Ohlone Indian Cemetery. Anyway, so where does that leave us to be succinct? When the Bureau rejected or decided not to extend federal recognition back to the tribe, they recommended the following. They said, number one, the Mark Maloney tribe is a historic tribe. 100% of the members are directly, the living members are directly descended from members of the previously federally recognized tribe. They also agreed the tribe was never terminated by any act of Congress. They never explained how the tribe really lost their federal recognition. And when we submitted the evidence that they never lost their federal recognition, they refused to look at it because it was the actions of 1927. And they decided they're not gonna look at anything there. So when the tribe was, uh, when they declined- Well, I'm to gonna have to cut you out there because we're gonna go to a break. We're talking about sure. the Mwekma Ohlone tribe's efforts to regain federal recognition with Alan Leventhal, Mwekma Ohlone tribal ethno-historian, and Lauren Van Schilfgaard, director of the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians Tribal Legal Development Clinic at the UCLA School of Law. We'd love to hear from you. What are your questions about federal recognition for Native American tribes, this official process that we've been talking through? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Muwekma Ohlone tribe's efforts to regain federal recognition with Alan Leventhal, the Muwekma Ohlone tribal ethno-historian, as well as, as, well as Lauren Van Schilfgaard, a director of the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians Tribal Legal Development Clinic at the UCLA School of Law. And we want to hear another cut from the Muwekma chairwoman, Charlene Nijme, talking about the loss of federal recognition for her tribe as she was unable to join us this morning. Not only did they misname us, name our tribe, but they also decided to take us off the list of tribes to receive land and left us landless, living and working on other people's lands just to survive. They tried to erase us. That disregard for our welfare and our identity continues today. The government refuses to restore our status as a federally recognized tribe, even though they admit we were federally recognized and never terminated. Tribal nations ceded millions of acres of land that made the United States what it is today, and in return, received the guarantee of ongoing self-government on their own lands. But in the case of Mwekma, the government broke that guarantee. They erased us because we were living on valuable real estate. That was Charlene Nijme, Mwekma chairwoman, and Lauren Van Schilfgaard of uh, UCLA Law School. What does federal recognition mean for tribes and, and maybe even for Native people individually uh, when they're able to get that kind of recognition? Yeah, it's, um, it's I, I'm trained as a lawyer, and so this is all uh, very interesting to me from a legal perspective. Um, like much of federal Indian law, the federal recognition has never been explicit or clearly defined, I think, um, that, you know, is exemplified in this experience. Federal recognition is sort of just that. It's the federal government's recognition or acknowledgement of a tribe. Federal recognition does not create a tribe. It is merely reflective of the relationship between these two separate sovereigns. Um, up until the late 20th century, there was no formal federal recognition process. It was an ad hoc case by case basis that was really reflective of the changing political dynamic between tribes. Um, you know, certainly pre-United States and up through the early part of the United States history, the, um, uh, the United States, as well as former European colonies like the British Crown, really struggled in how they interacted and defined tribal relationships. It most closely fell within a nation state to nation state diplomatic, hence treaty negotiation type of relationship. Uh, at the dawn of the United States that was redefined to see tribes as domestic dependent nations, mm -hmm. sovereigns that had diminished sovereignty, but still sovereignty that, that remained intact. So a lot of federal recognition was merely, oh yeah, the, the tribes that we have treaties with, tribes that we have different negotiations, um, very strategic, often through a military or diplomacy lens. Mm -hmm. um, this, of course, gets complicated because the British crown was not the only European sovereign that uh, encountered tribes. Um, here in the Southwest, that, that was predominantly dominated by the Spanish, 
which means that when the uh, United States interacted with tribes in the Southwest, this was after the Spanish and the Mexican government had already sort of imposed their diplomatic relations with tribes. And so the United States was inheriting these um, diplomatic relations often in a very clumsy or inconsistent way. Tribes that have federal recognition today um, sometimes reflect a uh, uh, internal consistency, right? This is a group that has considered itself a uh, cohesive nation since time immemorial. There's cultural language, kinship ties, and then also these political relationships with other tribes as well as with the United States and maybe with the state in which they um, reside. For other tribes, it's more complicated, right? The, the reservation era was uh, rift with tribes being forcibly removed from their ancestral territories, consolidated onto military forts. And so today you have tribes that were forced onto reservations more akin to a, a military compound that might include multiple different languages, cultural groups, clans that wouldn't otherwise affiliate themselves, but today are a tribe with political relationships with the United States. So, now, well, uh, yes. Oh, Lauren, you know, you've said uh, in, in previous interviews that the federal government isn't really motivated to recognize more tribes. What, why is that? Uh, the federal government uh, has what's considered a guardian board or trust responsibility for tribes. They have positive obligations towards tribes because of these diplomatic relationships. And so like any fiduciary, you want to limit the amount of obligations that you have, um, the amount of uh uh, liability that you have around. Um, there are also immense political considerations. Um, tribal recognition uh, is a recognition of existing sovereignty that is in contradiction to the United States and certainly in contradiction to the state. Um, being federally recognized means that the federal government has the authority to take land into trust on behalf of tribes. That changes the jurisdictional uh, landscape of that land, then in a sense that deletes it from state lands. Gaming, of course, is a consideration here, though I think it's important to note that for many tribes, gaming is not a viable reality there are a small percentage of tribes that game, an even smaller percentage of tribes that game profitably. A lot of, because of that, a lot of subsequent recognitions, the federal government has recognized a tribe conditionally limiting the extent of gaming. Gaming, of course, is just an expression of sovereignty. The authority of tribes to dictate their own laws that may or may not comport with the ways in which a state has dictated their laws. You see a similar um, legal exploration with um, cannabis industry, but it's all murky. Taxation is another area where it becomes very murky. The state often exercises outsized authority to tax within Indian country. Um, and so it, it becomes a, a very political and complex process. The result is federal recognition today is primarily three routes, judicial determinations, which are increasingly not a viable route, congressional um, acknowledgement, having a bill passed in Congress that recognizes the tribe. We see 
some of these, but as you can imagine, it's as hard as getting a bill through Congresses, which is very difficult. And then finally, this administrative process, um, a process that Alan has alluded to that has been criticized by numerous sources as incredibly complex and time intensive. The Office of Governmental Accountability has stated that based on the regulations as they exist and current staffing within the Department of Interior, an average petition takes about 15 years to process. Mm. So, Lauren, in that case, what can tribes really do to to, to move this process forward if, if everything seems pretty much stuck in the mud? Um, the administrative process is the most explicit route, but I think that tribes are are increasing their capacity, right? Federal recognition is just the federal government acknowledging you. It does not relieve a tribe of their obligations to govern and to be a tribe for their people since they have been since time immemorial. And so part of, I think, the efforts can include building political support, um, governing in a good way in your community, even without that federal recognition. I think we have an incredible example here of a tribe building up community support to really compel the federal government, which has always been the case, that you have no other choice but to acknowledge the obvious existence of this tribe, particularly given the horrific history here in California. I think it's notable that California does not have a state recognition process, though there are a couple of opportunities like a a de facto state recognition for purposes of cultural resource protection um, and repatriation, very limited, but the state has its own obligations. Um, It certainly was an active participant in the genocidal acts that we saw in the 1850s through the 1900s. Um, The state of California also has diplomatic relations with the tribes located here within California. Even just including those tribes that have federal recognition in California. California has the second largest number of tribes, the most in the continental United States. And part of that is reflective of the immense Uh, geographic and cultural diversity that has always been a component of California. It's certainly true today, and it was absolutely true pre-contact. Alan Leventhal, uh, Mwekma Ohlone Tribal Ethnohistorian, we're just about to uh, take another break and and wrap up this segment. But I wanted to ask you where the Ohlone, the Mwekma Ohlone are are pursuing their efforts now. You know, we've heard these different pathways that that can be taken. Um, So just real quickly, What's the what's on the docket for the tribe in its next steps? Well, <clears throat> they've been gaining support from various state representatives to pass a resolution uh, in, uh, encouraging Congress to reaffirm the federally federal status of the Moak Maloney tribe, and um, the concern has been that there's been opposition for the tribe to become, to regain their federal recognition. But they're moving ahead and through various publications and the most recent being with the proceedings with the National Academy of Sciences, which was co-authored with the tribe, that they've demonstrated biological connections to their ancestral heritage sites, not only to the East Bay, 
but also to the South Bay and West Bay in previous studies as well. So to make it short that uh, there is slow and support from the, Congre from the state legislature mm -hmm. uh, to pass this resolution encouraging the uh, reaffirmation of the Moak Maloney tribe. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We have been talking about the Mwekma Ohlone tribe's efforts to regain federal recognition with Alan Leventhal, Mwekma Ohlone tribal ethno-historian, and Lauren Van Schilfgaard, director of the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians Tribal Legal Development Clinic at the UCLA School of Law. We're going to be back with more things about the Ohlone people. Stay tuned after a very short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.